Welcome to our message for April 11th, called Confident, Cleansed, and Confessing. First section, Fencing Off the Sanctuary. Despite all the roadblocks sin would erect between us and God, Jesus has become our High Priest and won open access for us into the Most Holy Place. As we come to God and welcome His Holy Spirit to be present and direct our lives, our experience is transformed to become significant in our relationships with others. Speaking of barriers, Pastor James Coates, the congregation he serves, Grace Life Church in Spruce Grove, just west of Edmonton, have been encountering some barriers of their own. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Coates was released after serving 35 days in a remand center for failure to abide by an undertaking, which he never actually signed. The congregation has been meeting in excess of the 15% capacity limits set provincially. Two February charges were dropped, but a December one stands, which the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, his legal counsel, hopes to use to test the province's legislation when Pastor Coates goes on trial May 3rd. And this past Wednesday, police and a fencing company showed up early in the morning and put up a barricade completely around the church, blocking off entry. Between July and April, Alberta Health Services had received 105 complaints from the community. AHS had conducted 18 site visits and violations were noted at each visit. It's going to be an interesting court case regarding religious freedoms and the authority of governments to restrict gatherings for health reasons. Next section. The Old Deal. Perpetual Sacrifice and sin cycle. In many respects, worship in the Old Testament involved walls, curtains that kept people away from the most holy place. At the temple in Jesus' time, there was the court of the Gentiles, and inside that, the court of the women, the men's court, the priest's court, and finally, the temple proper itself, with a curtain veiling the most holy place where only the high priest entered once a year, carrying atoning blood successive layers from which one was barred upon pain of death, a strong sense of being forbidden from drawing closer to the Holy One. This is alluded to in verses 17-18 of Hebrews 10. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Sin separates us from God. Romans 6.23a says, For the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, such as cut Adam and Eve off from paradise in Genesis 3. Sin is a real barrier and hard to eliminate. Even if you succeed in overcoming it in its more overt forms, like lust or gluttony, you can still fall prey to subtler forms such as pride, hypocrisy, jealousy. At some point, you start faking it. Jesus criticized the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, their faking it, looking good on the outside like whitewashed tombs. Their inner core was still self-oriented, not God-oriented, turning to me, not turning to the Lord. Patty and I started incubating our first batch of eggs for this year, the day after Palm Sunday. This week I candled the eggs checking to see which ones were fertile and actually alive, headed in the direction of hatching chicks after 23 days. About 18 out of 30 had something definitely going on inside. 
but the remaining dozen showed no embryo, no blood veins, just the plain old egg yolk and white, so they'd be discarded. Which would better describe our spiritual life? Is there really something happening on the inside? Or is it dead, lifeless, religious ritual? The sin of the Pharisees was paying attention to outward demonstrations of piety for appearance's sake, rather than giving attention to inward obedience. This can be well illustrated by two eggs. One egg is a normal raw egg that, when placed under the palm of the hand and pressed evenly, cannot be broken because of the structure of the egg itself. The second egg is exactly the same on the outside, but its insides have been removed. When it is placed under the same palm pressure, it breaks easily because it is internally weak. So too, one who gives himself to the sin of the Pharisees is empty of substance and will eventually crack under pressure. That's the legalism of the Old Covenant, where sin and lawless acts prevent genuine inner transformation. But wait, something better is on the horizon. Next section, the New Deal, a way through the curtain. Verse 18 says, And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. No longer. Now forgiveness has been made possible. Through the previous chapters, from chapter 4 right on up to this present chapter 10, the author has been painting a portrait of Jesus as our great high priest. Because of his once-for-all perfect sacrifice, not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of the perfect, sinless Son of God, true atonement has finally been made and real forgiveness is possible. The Old Testament sacrificial system was symbolic, enacted pictures pointing ahead to their fulfillment in Jesus on the cross at Golgotha. What words did Jesus use to describe the cup at the Last Supper? What was his own interpretation of the tragic events that were about to befall him? Matthew 26, 28 says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 10, 19-22 picks up the significance of this new covenant. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. No more walls. We have confidence to enter the most holy place. Remember the cataclysmic events that happened at the time Jesus died on the cross? In particular, what happened at the temple? Matthew 27:51a. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. How could God make it any more clear? The sin barrier was being torn away, removed through Jesus' death on our behalf. Hebrews 10.20 By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. Jesus' body was pierced with nails and a spear, sockets wrenched out of joint in agony, parallel to the ripping apart of the curtain separating the most holy place from all comers at the temple. In this sense, his body is the curtain, torn like we tear the loaf of bread at communion. A new and living way opened for us. 
Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or, I am the true and living way. Thankfully, winter now seems to be past, but remember when roads were closed and your laneway was impassable in the wintertime? Like a snowplow clearing the road or a snowblower making a path through your laneway, Jesus has opened a way for you to access God through him. How do we avail ourselves of this new way, this wonderful access to the most holy place? With four things, faith, focus, fervency, and fellowship. Next section, faith in the faithful one. Verse 22a says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. In RSV, a true heart. New Living Translation, fully trusting. Is your heart sincere and true? Is it open, vulnerable, genuine, not guarded, glancing around checking for a back door? Are you really all in, fully committed, fully trusting? The next chapter in Hebrews, chapter 11, is sometimes referred to as the faith chapter because it recites many examples of biblical heroes who acted in faith, not sight. It's a hall of fame for those who trusted in God as their Savior. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The faith is not in what we can do, like some human potential movement, but in what God has already done for us, specifically in what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross when he said, it is finished, or it is accomplished, or paid in full. Our faith is in the faithful one who has demonstrated through Bible history he keeps his promises. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. For, or because, the one who made the promises in the first place, God, proves he keeps his word. The moved stone and empty tomb stamp the seal on that. Our trust is in Jesus rather than our own ability or merit. As they prepared for the final exam in logic, a college professor offered his class some relief. He told them that they could bring as much information to the exam as they could fit on a piece of notebook paper. Most students crammed as many facts as possible on their 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper. But one student, his name was Bob, walked into class, put a piece of notebook paper on the floor, and had an advanced logic student stand on the paper. The upper graduate told Bob everything he needed to know. Bob was the only student to receive an A. You need Jesus standing on your piece of paper. That's faith. Next section. Focus. Keep the main thing the main thing. Because Jesus is our great priest over the house of God, verse 21, the author sees a string of five lettuce imperatives flowing from that fact. Verse 22. Let us draw near. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to hope. Verse 24. Let us consider spurring one another on. Verse 25. Let us not give up and let us encourage one another. The second of these in verse 23 says, Hebrews 10, 23. 
Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hold unswervingly. To me, this speaks of focus, staying on track, not getting off course. As Pastor Phil Delso used to emphasize, keep the main thing the main thing. The COVID pandemic has really caused a lot of things to be thrown up in the air. What can we do? What must we stop doing? What is essential to keep doing? Will church ever be the same again? Is it time to put some programs on the shelf and start looking at new ways of doing things? For instance, for some churches, perhaps the day of the handbell choir is past. For others, the day of the community kitchen has arrived as they survey the needs around them. Some megachurches are not meeting in person, instead relying on small group format to keep the essence of the church going, growing bigger by growing smaller. Jesus did not call his followers to create programs or build buildings. He called us to make disciples. Sometimes programs or buildings facilitate that, but they're not to become non-negotiable idols. What tools can we use to reach new people with the good news? I heard of one church in a former mall that set aside one area for washers and dryers so people in the community would have a laundromat nearby they could use. A key characteristic of new covenant living is found in verse 16, the prophecy from Jeremiah 31, which says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. To keep from swerving, our focus needs to be shaped by God's laws, writing his truth in our minds with the help of our teacher, counselor, the Holy Spirit. So it seems the church will always need a teaching aspect, whether sermon or small groups or Bible study one-on-one. -on -one. Isn't it great our Sunday school is encouraging verse memorization? Hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Chapter 12 goes more into the matter of hope. There's so much negativity in society these days. The news can be dismal. COVID counts rising, lawlessness, unrest, demonstrations, and anarchy in various parts of the world. To have hope makes a person stand out as an exception, it seems. Verse 25 says, And all the more as you see the day approaching. Some are wondering if these are the end times. Christians don't have a secret clock for reference by which we can predict the day Jesus returns, but we do have that hope. 2 Thessalonians 1.10 The day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. Are you holding unswervingly? Are you staying focused, keeping the main thing the main thing? Dennis Waitley and Rennie Witt note in their book The Joy of Working the late Henry Fonda once said that a thoroughbred horse never looks at the other racehorses. It just concentrates on running the fastest race it can. We have to fight the tendency to look at others and see how far they've come. The only thing that counts is how we use the potential we possess and that we run our race to the best of our abilities. Quote. Next section. Fervency, affection, and action. We got faith, focus, and next, fervency. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The verb translated here, spur on, is interesting, similar to our word paroxysm, 
to sharpen, stimulate, incite. Maybe to nudge or irritate in a good way, like a small pebble in your shoe. You can't rest until you've dealt with it. What are we to be spurring each other on towards? Toward love and good deeds. Love. Well, that's no surprise, is it? Jesus' command is found in John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. How will people know we are truly Jesus' followers? By our big fancy church buildings? By our meticulous moral uprightness? By the size of the Bible we carry? No, by how we love one another. Our affection for each other, our brotherly, sisterly love. Do we really care? And isn't that what the younger generation's looking most for in terms of authentic relationships and true spirituality? Do we show we really care? We're also to spur one another on toward good deeds. Recently, my daughter's family was involved in an outreach in their central Alberta community in which their church youth group passed out 180 gift bags to their neighbors. Each bag contained a personalized card about God's gift at Easter, a Bible, and a Tim Hortons gift card. The Lord also sees the small good deeds. When you pick up some groceries for someone who has mobility problems, when you stack their firewood, when you give them a ride to an appointment, not every good deed need be broadcast. Our church's Pray and Go door hangers got printed this week, the first batch. They'll let our neighbors know we prayed for them and invite them to send us any needs they have that they'd like us to be praying about. It could be this will bring about more opportunities for us to be spurred on toward good deeds. Next section, fellowship. I find it ironic that the Sunday I planned some weeks ago to preach on Hebrews 10.25 would also turn out to be the week the province announced yet another lockdown, state of emergency, stay-at-home order. What's Hebrews 10.25 say? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The fences around Grace Life Church would seem to be a signal the local authorities do want them to give up meeting together. That is, unless they agree to wear masks, physical distance, and so on to protect their health. I am thankful we have the option to meet together online, even if the sense of togetherness is just seeing familiar faces in the, ba in the band on the screen and friendly greetings in the live chat. But I'm also thankful the authorities allow us to gather in person up to 15% of capacity. It's not so easy to do New Testament one-anothering when you can't physically be together. Hopefully this enforced apartness will foster within us a yearning to more fully appreciate and treasure each other's presence once that is allowed again, or in our chance meetings on the street or in the store in the meantime. My family in WhatsApp this week was reflecting a bit on the restricted attendance situation. Daughter Emily in Alberta wrote, There's something so powerful and necessary for the human soul in gathering together physically, and our faith rises when we sing together physically. Our church is still meeting 15% capacity with masks and sanitizer, but for many people, the physical act of going to church is a lifesaver. In response, my son Keith observed, 
Yeah, the absence we experience is only more powerful in reminding us that we need to be present to one another. It is the kind of fasting that heightens our awareness and hopefully draws us into the ways we're connected to God's Spirit, who binds us in love for one another and for our neighbor. In communion, we remember Christ, but we also remember one another as Christ's body, re-member, put back together, even when absent, end quote. As the scripture says, let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. Who is someone that you can encourage by taking a moment to call on the phone or maybe do a porch drop off or a physically distanced visit? We are to be literally paracleting one another as the Holy Spirit is our divine paraclete, helper, comforter, admonisher, strengthener. Is there someone you know who is in particular need of an encouraging word at this season? In 1994, Thurman Thomas, head bowed with his hands covering his face, sat on the Buffalo bench following his team's fourth straight Super Bowl loss. His three fumbles had helped seal the Bills' fate. Suddenly, standing before him was the Dallas Cowboys star running back, Emmett Smith, who had just been named Most Valuable Player for Super Bowl XXVIII. Smith was carrying his young goddaughter. He looked down at her and said, I want you to meet the greatest running back in the NFL, Thurman Thomas. That must have been so encouraging to a desolate soul. There are opportunities to encourage right inside the home, too. When he was a young boy, the great painter Benjamin West decided to paint a picture of his sister while his mother was not at home. He got out the bottles of ink and started, but soon had an awful mess. His mother eventually returned and, of course, saw the mess. Instead of scolding him, though, she picked up the portrait and declared, What a beautiful picture of your sister. And she kissed him. Later in life, Benjamin West said, With that kiss, I became a painter. Let's pray. Sovereign God, you know the messes we have made in our life. Our sins are numerous and we don't deserve to come before you at all. But thank you for sending Jesus to be our great priest and open the way for us to enter your presence. We bless you for keeping your wonderful promises and the hope we have in Christ. Help us keep on track for your kingdom to not lose our focus. Show us ways to keep encouraging and loving one another, even when we can't meet together. Show us the good deeds you're waiting to accomplish through us, and be pleased to keep writing your ways on our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen.